listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Good morning, church. My name is Mark Kirkendall, and I'm one of the leaders here at the White House campus, and we are so glad you could be here on this Baptism Sunday. If you're visiting with us, we want to let you know we are in a series through the parables that we are calling Jesus Stories. And a parable is simply this. It's a picture, a word picture, but they have profound spiritual lessons. And so today I want to invite you in your Bibles or on your device to Matthew 25. As you're finding your way there, I want to begin this morning with three words. And what I have done, I've created three phrases to help me remember these. So here's your challenge. I want you to go and develop your own phrases to help you remember these. And then every one of you can send me an email at clint at bethelbible.com. Love to read all of those because I want to know what is it that, how would you remember these three words? So here they are, watch, wait, and work. Watch, wait, and work. And here's my three phrases. For watch, it's eyes wide open. For wait, you teachers, it's taught me this, it's pockets in the seat. And work, worn slap out. So those are my three phrases to help me remember watch, wait, and work. Eyes wide open, pockets in the seat, and worn slap out. So I know what you're thinking, what in the world do these words have in common? So I'm glad you asked, because this is it. Almost every time you turn in your Bibles to a passage talking about the return of Jesus, you are encouraged to watch, meaning to watch expectantly, to anticipate, to watch with excitement, meaning live expecting Jesus to return any moment. And for me... That's eyes wide open. But also it tells us to wait. And it talks about waiting patiently. Something we don't do very well. But it's meaning don't lose focus. Don't lose hope. For me, it's pockets in the seat. Talks about working as we're waiting for his return. Meaning work diligently. Don't be lazy. And invest now as you are watching and you are waiting. And so my phrase is, Worn, slap out. So when the Bible talks about the subject of Jesus' returning, it encourages us to watch expectedly. Man, this could be the day Jesus returns. To wait patiently in case he delays longer and work diligently in this in-between time. So let me show you an example. You're in Matthew 25. Um, That's the parable of the talents we're going to look at. But some background is really important here. So Jesus is in the last week of his time here on earth. He, uh, in Matthew 24, he goes to the Mount of Olives. So chapters 24 and 25, it's often referred to as the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus goes and teaches on this Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives is answering this question. How will we know when it's time for you to return. And so Jesus takes these chapters to address that question. 
fact, Matthew 24, verses 36 through 51, Jesus says, no one, no one knows when I'm going to return. Not the angels, not the Son of Man, only the Father. So Jesus is going to use three parables to advise the disciples to teach them what to do in this waiting. He's going to teach them to watch expectedly, wait patiently, and to work diligently. That first one, that watch, expect, meaning be ready, be on the lookout. You know, what are we to do with this parable? For me, it's eyes wide open. And he illustrates this. I think it's Matthew uh, 24, the end of that chapter. He uses the story of two men walking up a hill and two ladies grinding probably flour. Well, I'll never forget this time. Growing up as a kid in the the 70s and the 80s, my mom's here today. She's going to remember this. But there was a song that scared me to death. In fact, God probably used this song to bring me to faith in him. But it's by a guy named Larry Norman in 1969. So it came out just a few years before I was born. But I remember being terrified about this song titled, I Wish We'd All Been Ready. You know, two men walking up a hill. One turns around and he's gone. You know, it's his husband and wife. And, you know, it's kind of X-rated back then. It says they're laying in bed. And she turns over and he's gone. And, I mean, it just freaked me out that I could go through my life. All of a sudden, I could turn around and I might be the one left there. So then you grow up in the, the grunge era of the 80s. And you're excited about uh, Christian music finally coming to the times. And DC Talk redid the song, I Wish We'd All Been Ready. But it's, it's based upon Matthew 24, verses 36 through 51. And it's all about what do we do in this in-between time of Jesus' first advent that we celebrate at Christmas and his second coming. And Jesus uses this story of these two people to be watchful, be ready, be on the lookout that today could be that day that you're walking up some hill and all of a sudden you turn around and your friend is not there. So watch expecting Jesus to return. That's what he says, number one. Be ready, be watchful. Eyes wide open. Then he teaches another parable there in your Bibles in verse uh, chapter 25, verses 1 through 13 of wait patiently, meaning don't lose hope, don't lose focus, pockets in the seat. And it's the five foolish bridesmaids and the five wise ones. What happens is they're in this in-between time. The wedding has happened. The groom is going to get the house ready. They're all waiting. Could today be the day that the groom comes and calls his bride to their new home? And five of them are prepared. They go out one night with their lamps and they have oil. But the other five are not prepared and they run out. So five were wise. They were going about their days, but they were being patient. Hey, Tonight might not be the night he comes, so we need to make sure we have oil for our lamps. The five of them were just careless with it. So he says, be patient. Don't lose hope. Don't lose focus. If he delays, wait patiently, knowing that he might take longer. So this first parable, the error is this. In the waiting, that we think Jesus will not return soon. Oh, that's going to be some other time. I've got time to take care of that. I don't have to worry about that today. But then in the other parable, 
the heir is presuming that he will not come soon. So he says, watch expectantly. Live like Jesus could return any moment and wait patiently. If he delays, don't lose hope. Don't lose focus. And so today's parable is the third in this series of advice from Jesus. Watch expectedly. Two men walking up a hill, be ready. Wait patiently. Make sure you have oil just in case he delays. And work diligently. Or wise eye open, pockets in the seat, worn slap out. Now, I can't wait to hear what you come up with. Remember, Clint at BethelBible.com. I'll look and respond to every one of those. So here we go. Matthew 25, beginning of verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and he entrusted to them his property. So it's wealthy man calls in these servants. And in fact, they're probably more like managers. He comes in, he's going somewhere for a long time, and so he basically liquidates all that he has, and he distributes, or it says entrust, to these men, meaning he, he delivers it. He hands it over to them. He grants them permission. So let's see how he distributes. Verse 15. To one, he gives five talents, to another two, and to another one. So five talents, two talents, and one talent. And a talent is like this measure of weight. We talked a little bit about it last week. But a talent, on average, was about 75 pounds. So on average, they tell us that's the average weight of an 11-year-old boy. It's uh, about the size of a large bag of quickcrete. So envision that. They say two and a half cinder blocks. Or kids, you'll like this one. 37,500 plain M&Ms. That is the talent. But here's the best way. A talent is about like our fat dog, JR. JR does nothing. His day consists of waking up going, where am I going to go lay down next? And so he's about the size of a talent. So what is a talent then? So a talent is measure of weight. But a talent equaled about 4,500 or to 6,000 days of wages. So five talents was about 65 to 75 years worth of wages. So an astronomical amount. So two talents is about 24 to 30 years worth of wages. And I know the one talent guy always kind of looks at, oh, he only has one talent. But one talent would be 12 to 15 years worth of wages. So his point is that it isn't a small amount. But notice the three mounts, they're all large, but they're not equal. And here's why. Here's what it says. In verse 15, he says, He gave to each according to his ability. And then he went away. So the master gave according to their ability, meaning the master watched. He evaluated what the men were doing based on their previous experiences. He knew them well. He knew their abilities, their skill levels, their strengths. He knew their weaknesses. He knew what they were capable of handling. But there is something missing in this. I'm thinking if I'm about to give my entire wealth away to three people, but notice what he doesn't do. When he gives them the talents, he doesn't give them really any instructions. He simply entrusts it 
to them. It's up to them about how they would use or invest these talents. So let's see what they do in verse 16. And he who had received five talents went at once and he traded them and he made five more. So he went at once, meaning he wasted no time and he traded, meaning he put his experiences and his knowledge to use with the five talents and not bad, he made five more. I mean, so look at the next guy, verse 17. So also, that's important, he went who had two talents, and he made two more. So also means he went just like the previous guy. In fact, he might have followed him. He might have watched what he did and patterned uh, with those two talents what the other men did. Or they could have actually worked together. But he puts his experience, he puts his knowledge to use, and he made two more talents. Now the next guy, verse 17. So also he who had two, uh, uh, verse 18, but he who had received the one talent, look at what he does. He went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So when that word went, it means he went off by himself. He isolated himself. He withdrew. He became private. And he buried it in a hole. So a common practice, if you had valuables, you would take them if you were worried about being plundered or stolen, especially if you're going to be gone for a long time. You would find a place and you would bury these valuables. But now, returns the master, verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So after a long time, he comes back and he calls the managers in. Hey, let me know how you did with the talents I entrusted to you. Look at verse 20 and 21. And who had received the five talents, he came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a little. I will set you over much. And then this last phrase, enter into the joy of your master. I mean, this master, he could not be more pleased. He says, well done, you've been good, you've been faithful. Now, let's celebrate what you have done, meaning enter into the joy of your master. Verse 22, very similar scenario. Also, who had two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents, Here I've made two more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So he's just as pleased. He gets the same reaction. So notice that even though the results are different, the master gives the same reaction. Response, because here's what he's doing with these two men. He's celebrating their faithfulness, not their success. Yes, they both doubled, but there's no way that those measure from four talents to now ten. But he is celebrating their faithfulness, not the results. But then we get the last guy. Verse 24. And also who had received one talent, he came forward 
saying, Master, I knew, I knew who you were, and you're a hard man, reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and I hid the talent in the ground. And so here, you have what is yours. So he says, I knew you. I knew you were difficult. But notice that none of the other servants said that. It was just this guy. But it gets worse. He says, you reap where you don't sow. You gather where you scatter no seed. He's accusing this master of basically being wicked with no integrity. Being greedy, taking what isn't his, taking advantage of other people. But notice what this third servant is doing. Now here, we've all done this. He's blame shifting. He is making an excuse for his unfaithfulness and his laziness. And he says, listen, I didn't do anything and it's your fault. Because of you, I didn't do anything. But here's what I've learned. Lazy and unfaithful people. Uh, None of you, I I know that, but you know some. But here's what seems to always be true. Everything is always someone else's fault. There's no ownership in that, listen, I was just lazy. Or if he'd even said, listen, I was just afraid that I would really mess up. But instead of going with the other man, he isolates himself and he does the laziest thing he can. He digs a hole. But look at verse 26. Look at the response he gets. Notice how the master turns on him. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. So you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and I gathered where where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to at least went and invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received what was my own with interest. And so he calls him wicked and lazy, meaning the problem, no. The problem is really you. But then he says, okay, if I'm such a hard man, if I take what is not mine and I take advantage of the work of other people, if I'm such a hard man, if that's true, then you should have at least went and put my money in the bank. So this third servant is utterly lazy. He would not even take the time or the energy to walk down the street and to put the money in the bank. And here's what he's doing. He is shrinking his duties down to the least amount of effort. Really nothing. So notice what happens to him in verse 28. So take the talent from him and give it to the one that has ten talents. So because of his unfaithfulness, because of his laziness, he loses what he was already given. So then Jesus now drives his point home with this parable in verse 29 and 30. So in the waiting, in the watching, you're to be working for to everyone who has will be more, will be given more. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So here's what Jesus says. In the waiting, in the watching, we're to be working. And trustworthiness 
and faithfulness, you know what it leads to? It leads to even greater blessing and joy in Christ. So from the first two, they heard, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now enter, come in to the joy that is mine. Let it be yours. But laziness, unfaithfulness, it leads to the removal of the blessing and a loss of joy in Christ. So the last servant, and he didn't get to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come in and let my joy be yours. So this morning, what what can we possibly then take away from this parable? Because, you know, we find ourselves, in a lot of ways, with this parable, waiting on the master. We're in between these two advents. And as we wait, man, we've seen three things that we can be doing from these parables. Watch expectedly, meaning eyes wide open. Meaning we need to be living each and every day as if this could be the day that Jesus returns. But man, ask yourself, how often do I live in that reality that, whoa, today, today could be the day that that reality of the bride, uh, bridegroom coming for him as bride actually happens. And learning to guide our conversations and our attitudes and our actions that we are to live eagerly expecting, man, today could be the day, eyes wide open, Jesus could return. Then you see, wait patiently, the the pockets and the seats. So yes, maybe as the days, the weeks, the months, and the years go by to don't lose hope. Don't lose focus. That even though the Father may say, not today. We need to trust in His timing. But then what we see from this parable of the talents, it's work diligently. Warn, slap out. Don't waste time. Use what God has given you. But Jesus is warning us today that, listen, we are all, we're all in danger of becoming like that last servant. So let me encourage you with this. Just like the master in this parable, Jesus knows you better than anyone. In fact, he created you. He created me. He knows, he knows the things about us. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he loves and he cares for you. More than you could ever imagine. And all of this, he's entrusted to you so many resources. But we so easily, I I think, lose sight of this. I know I I often can. And so let me share with you what I think our greatest danger in this, this working is. So Jesus has given every single one of us kind of like this, I don't know, a coin bag. And, And God has given us what some looks like more than than others from this talent. What looks like. But God knows each and every one of us so well. And His plans are always perfect. And that includes what He has entrusted to you and to me. So one of the, the people listening to this parable was Peter. I want you to listen to what Peter says or he writes later on in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse Seven. So he says, in the end of all things, meaning as we're in this waiting, in between these second comings, therefore, he says, be self-controlled. Sounds like pockets in the seat to me. Sober-minded, it's eyes wide open. For the sake of your prayers, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Sounds a lot like working diligently. 
Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another. Sounds like working, worn, slap out, without grumbling. And as each has received a gift, sounds a lot like a master giving a talent. Use it to serve one another and as good stewards of God's varied grace. Hmm, Sounds like five, two, and one. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. It sounds a lot like enter into my joy. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So aren't the similarities striking? I mean, Peter says God's given you a gift. Now, just like the master did with the talents and the advice, it's to now be a good steward, use it, invest it in God's varied grace. And notice these words, varied grace, as each has received a gift. What's interesting about this grace, we talk a lot about grace that God has given you, and there's an endless list of those kind of things. But this grace is different. This grace that God has given you, it says it's a portion of God's varied grace for each person that is given. But here's what we do. We sabotage this. We take our coin bag and we begin comparing it to other people. Begin to think, well, I don't know as much of the Bible as they do. I mean, look how many coins they have in their bag. I don't have as many talents or gifts as that person. I don't have the financial resources that God's blessed them with. Man, I don't have the extra time that they seem to have to serve in that way. Listen, I'm really not all that important compared to them. I mean, look how small my coin bag is. What could I possibly do that would really matter? I can't make a difference. Listen, there's no need to stick your nose in someone else's coin bag. I mean, God is wise enough. He's Um, to give you exactly what you need. But notice in this portion of God's grace what's different is that God gives us grace all the time for things we don't deserve. Jobs, family, homes, ability to speak, air to breathe, friends to share our lives and burdens with. And God's grace in this passage is a portion of God's grace that's not meant for you. In fact, he gives you this grace so that you could then distribute it to other people. He gives it to you to be a grace distributor. Listen, we could spend all morning making a list, talking about what you could do or how that might look like in your life. But I think you already know that. You already know in your life, how could I be a distributor of God's grace? So let me close by sharing with you a group of people that God has been using to distribute God's grace. Now, this is a family. Many of you are going to know them. It's a family that are members, they serve of Bethel, and they mainly attend the South Campus. Names are Jonathan and Shelby Skiles. They have a little girl named Sophie, and Sophie is only about two and a half years old. Well, in May, she had this moment where all of a sudden she just stopped breathing. I mean, terrifying if you're a parent. The doctors then discovered a baseball-sized tumor on her heart, and she was diagnosed with T-cell lymphoma. And since her diagnosis, Sophie has been 
at the Children's Hospital in Dallas recovering from the treatment and, and the major chemo along with just countless other procedures. I mean, it's hard to imagine how this has totally changed their lives from just getting up and getting ready and, you know, doing what they're going to be doing that day and just living life. Men, many have rallied around them for support. But on October 3rd, Shelby wrote a letter to some of the unsung heroes in her daughter's life. And she wrote a letter to the nurses. I know many of you have heard this, but if you haven't, let me read it. It says, I sit on this couch all day long, and I see you. You try hard to be unnoticed by me and my child. I see your face drop a little when she sees you and cries. You try to, in so many ways, to ease her fears and to win her over. I see you hesitate to stick her, pull band-aids off. You say, no, owies. And I'm sorry more times in one day than most people say thank you. I see all those rubber bracelets around your arms, wrapped around your stethoscope, each one for a child that you've cared for and loved. I see you put on gloves and a mask and try not to make much noise at night. I see you sorting piles of beads so you can give them to your patient to add to their ever-growing milestone necklace. I see you stroke her little bald head and tuck her covers around her tightly. I see you holding the crying mom that got bad news. I see you trying to chart on the computer while holding the babies uh, whose mom can't or won't be in the hospital with her. You put aside what's happening in your life for 12 straight hours to care for the very sick and sometimes dying children. You go into each room with a smile no matter what is happening in there. You go into each room with a smile no matter what might be going on in your own life. You see Sophie's name on the schedule and you come in to check on us when she isn't your patient. You call the doctor, the blood bank, and the pharmacy as many times as necessary to get my child what she needs in a timely manner. You check on me as often as you check on her. You sit and you listen to me ramble for 10 minutes even though your phone is buzzing and your to-do list is a mile long. I see you. I see you using your phone as a template to paint the perfect cartoon character on my new, my, my new kid's window. I see you cheering so enthusiastically for the kid taking laps around the nurse's station. I see you with that Nerf gun hiding from the kid around the corner. I see you. I see you holding tiny hands, changing dirty diapers, translate medical talk for parents, and wipe your tears uh, coming up with to a particular hard room. I see you put on gloves and mask and a gown, then pause before you hang an IV bag of poison chemo for my child. I see you. We all see you. No amount of snack baskets or cards could ever fully express how appreciative or accepted you are it to us. You are Jesus to us every single day. Our children won't get, um, would not get what they need without you. Moms like me wouldn't feel sane or heard without you. You save our babies, and we could not do it without you. A mom that sees all you do and loves you dearly for it. And you see, that's, no matter where you are, 
That's working diligently in the waiting. That's no matter where you find yourself, that's, that's being a distributor of God's grace to those around you. Listen, I believe God wants to use you, one of his children, to distribute his grace to others. Because listen, I believe there are people all around you that are hurting, dying, lonely, miserable, searching for answers in a place to belong. And so here's today's challenge. Ask God to use you. Be a distributor of his grace in someone else's life. So until Jesus returns, here's what we do. We watch expectantly, eyes wide open. Wait patiently. Keep those pockets in the seat if he delays. But work diligently. Wear yourself out being a distributor of God's grace. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.